Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Elon Musk throws more cold water on the Twitter deal. He says unless he gets the actual number of fake accounts, the deal is off. Amid the market chaos, Warren Buffett went on a stock buying spree. Look at what he bought. The baby formula shortage, lawmakers proposing a new bill to try to bring more formula to the shelves. But will their plans help? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Elon Musk is calling on the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to investigate the number of fake and automated accounts on Twitter. He says the deal is on hold until the ratio of real accounts to fake accounts can be verified. Earlier this week, he asked how companies are supposed to know the value of advertising on Twitter if they can't tell exactly how many real people are actively using the platform. Twitter is a publicly listed company, so it has to file certain numbers with the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC. As part of its filings, it estimated that less than 5% of all active accounts are fake. Musk, though, floated the idea that over 50% are fake, even more. He says it's impossible to know for sure without verifying. And it seems Musk believes he can pull out of the $44 billion deal if it turns out the platform isn't as popular as Twitter says, but experts say it's not so easy. Apparently, Musk could have raised this concern before he made his bid, but he declined. Others say he wants an excuse to pull out of the deal. At a recent event, Musk said he's committed to the deal, but may try to get a cheaper price. At the beginning of the saga, Musk said it wasn't about the money. He said it was about safeguarding freedom of speech. Twitter has censored high-profile accounts, including former President Trump's. Other activist groups want Twitter to continue to, quote, moderate content. 26 openly progressive organizations sent a letter to Twitter's advertisers telling them to oppose Musk's takeover or force him to play by their rules. They said, quote, Musk intends to steamroll safeguards and provide a megaphone to extremists who traffic in disinformation, hate and harassment. Of course, there's no evidence to back up those claims. So Musk asked the world to find out who's funding these progressive groups. Adam Andrzejewski at OpenTheBooks.com did just that and found that in many cases, you, the American taxpayer, may be footing the bill. Of the 26 organizations, nine have received federal funding in recent years. Friends of the Earth got a million-dollar grant in 2020. Media Matters for America got a forgivable $1 million SBA loan. And Neural Pro-Choice America, an abortion advocacy group, got a similar $1 million loan. The Daily Mail reported that some of the organizations behind the letter are funded by former staffers of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Others are funded by George Soros's Open Society Foundation. We'll keep you updated. And Citibank stocks up 8% today, probably thanks to Warren Buffett's investment. We'll give you more on that in a moment. Actually, the whole market did pretty good today. The Dow rose 431 points, 1 and 3 tenths of a percent. S&P 500 gained 81 points or 2 percent. And the Nasdaq added 322.2 and 8 tenths of a percent. Now with us live is Brent Johnson, CEO of Santiago Capital. Brent, great to see you. Nice to be here. Thanks, Paul. Brent, we have Warren Buffett coming up in a minute. He says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit of both, to be honest. I think this is a very uncertain time. And while I agree with the Warren sentiment, I'm not sure if this is the time to jump in. You don't think we've hit a bottom yet? 
Uh, no, I do not. I do not. I, I expect risk, risk, to go, risk assets to go lower. What do you think is keeping them propped up? Well, I mean, I think there, 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 there are several things. I mean, at the end of the day, money has to go somewhere, um, you know, and uh, there's a lot of capital that's been created by the central banks and the monetary authorities over the last few years. I think for the most part, the United States has received those flows, even with the fall in equity prices over the last call it three or four months. Uh, you look at equity indices around the world over the last two years, U.S. indices assets uh, are, are still higher than the rest of the world's. Um, in places like China, uh, the markets are down 40, 50 percent. Um, so ours are down anywhere from 15 to 25, depending on how you measure it. So I'm not making light of the, the issues that we have here in the U.S., but on a relative basis, it still looks okay. You mentioned China. You see any way back for them, Brent? There doesn't seem to be any end in sight for these lockdowns. Well, it's really kind of a curious thing. I mean, they, they don't seem to be doing themselves any favors right now, it seems to me. Um, it, it's kind of odd when, you know, initially they were extremely, uh, I'd say, more lax than the rest of the world. Uh, or kind of in the, the very early stages, they were kind of more stringent than the rest of the world. And then kind of the middle stages, they seemed to relax them while the rest of the world still kept them pretty, pretty tight. And now much of the rest of the world seems to sort of be moving on. That's not the right way to say it, but, you know, we're kind of getting back to normal. And now China has gone full draconian the other way and locked down large, you know, a couple of the largest cities in the world. And, you know, people can't even go outside, uh, you know, of their apartments. And it, it just seems kind of odd. Now, I'm not really sure what it is they're trying to do. I mean, I know they're, it's, they're, they're saying it's their zero COVID policy, but you almost have to wonder if there's more to it than that. It's a curious one for sure. Have we felt the full effects of these lockdowns here in the States yet? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, you have to – there's a very symbiotic relationship between the United States and China. You know, it's the two biggest markets in the world. Um, it's really hard to have these lockdowns in one part of the world, and especially such an important one as China, and not eventually you know, have some of these knock-on effects hit here at home. Um, you know, typically, you know – when you have these lockdowns, uh, the ships are not coming in and out of the ports. You know, you've probably seen these maps where the the backup in these ports in China they're just massive. You know, that 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 means it's going to take goods longer to get here to the U.S. When they do get here, you know, is there going to be a backup now because because other people are going to be in front of them? Um, and how quickly can we get the ships unloaded? And, and it, it, this contributes to the inflationary pressures. I, I think what's one of the interesting things about it is. Um, you know, I think over the last year, there was a lot of people calling for inflation. I think a lot of people were attributing it mainly to money creation, QE, central bank policies. And that certainly has a has an impact. But I've always felt like the the supply chain issues were a big part of it. And you couldn't attribute the inflationary pressures just to the central bank activity. And I think we're seeing that now because, you know, for the last call it three or four or five months, um, you know, we haven't had uh, the QE in the U.S., so we've kind of started to raise interest rates, move towards quantitative tightening, and you've seen asset prices start to come down, but you're still seeing some inflationary pressures, and, it, and it's because goods aren't traveling the way they used to be. Um, and it, it's hard to see that going back uh, no, to normal in, anytime soon. I, I think it will get better. Uh, I think the supply chains will eventually open up. Uh, but it's you, you can't just turn the world economy on and off like a light switch, which I, I think sometimes monetary authorities and politicians think that they can just snap their fingers and things will happen. I just don't think the real world works that way.
got about 30 seconds, Brent, but I think listening to business earnings calls, I think the inflation for a lot of these businesses who did well last year, it seems to be kind of eating into their earnings now. Is that correct? Yeah, it seems to be the case, you know, and, you know, it's not just that, the, like, global growth is slowing, right? And so they're kind of getting hit from both ends. Top line revenue is not as good. Uh, bottom line uh, costs are going up. Uh, it, it's the squeeze. And, you know, stagflation is in many ways the worst of all worlds because, you know, it's hard to really target one area to fix things. Um, and this is kind of why I think we haven't probably seen a bottom yet, um, you know, Ultimately, I think equities are going to go higher. U.S. equities are going to go higher. But I think we're, we're I, th I think 2022 is going to be a tough year. I think more than likely equity prices end the year lower than they are right now. Yeah, I think the squeeze for businesses is real. Brent Johnson, Santiago Capital. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. And as stocks fall, Warren Buffett is using the opportunity to go on a buying spree. Now we know what he's bought so far in today's fake quarter. We'll let you know. Amid all the market chaos, Warren Buffett is going on a buying spree, throwing the most cash he's thrown into the stock market since 2008. $41 billion in net stock purchases in the first quarter. When the stock market has declined quite sharply this calendar year, during the first quarter, it provided him with a lot of opportunities. David Cass is a Berkshire Hathaway investor. Cass believes Buffett is optimistic about the economy, despite the pessimism everywhere. Investors got to see what Buffett bought and what he sold in the Form 13F Berkshire Hathaway filed on Monday. Berkshire continued buying shares of Apple, which is by far its biggest holding. Berkshire brought its stake in video game developer Activision Blizzard to 8.2%, bought more of Ally Financial, and boosted investments in oil companies Occidental and Chevron. Both those stocks are up triple digits in the last two years, so He's not buying low with those stocks. George C. is the chairman of Annandale Capital, as well as a Berkshire investor who's met Warren Buffett himself. C. says this is a momentum play, which Buffett almost never does. He thinks commodity price prices are, are going to stay high for a, a very long time and that these are not cyclical plays for him right now. They're, they're multi-year plays because he thinks that these Companies are going to buy back a lot of stock and pay a lot of money in dividends. Buffett also dumped Wells Fargo, which he'd owned since 1989, for Citigroup, a new purchase. Buying Citigroup is, is very surprising to me because that's been a poorly run bank for a very, very long time. And I think that is a pure Buffett value play. He's looking at it, trading at a discount to book value and saying, eventually, I'll be right. Buffett also exited biotech firm AbbVie and pharmaceutical company Bristol-Myers Squibb. He decreased holdings in Verizon, Royalty Pharma, and Kroger. Notable increases include General Motors, Floor and Decor Holdings, Inc., and furniture company RH. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Looks like shareholders at Intel and JP Morgan aren't too happy about the company's stock performance. They're blocking big pay packages for executives. Intel stock is down 14% this year. JP Morgan shareholders also rejected a special payout to CEO Jamie Dimon, which is unusual. JP Morgan shares are down 23% this year. And while the votes are only advisory, they don't immediately affect compensation, they are a sign of investor sentiment. These votes are just the latest example of investors voting against executive pay packages. According to activist investor group As You Sow, shareholders rejected pay packages at least 16 companies last year. 
And some good and bad news for retail sales in April. The good news is U.S. retail sales rose 0.9% month over month, outpacing inflation. Auto dealerships saw the biggest increase as signs supply chain issues are easing up. Non-store retailers and restaurant and bar sales also rose. The biggest decline was for gas stations. I wonder why. Compared to a year ago, retail sales are up 8.2%. The bad news is inflation is up even more than that. So sales for the year, pretty flat. That means we're spending more but taking fewer goods home. Consumer spending accounts for about two-thirds of U.S. GDP. So the U.S. economy needs consumer spending to grow in order to spur the economy. So flat growth, not good. Inflation is hitting corporations, too. They're dealing with it in different ways to keep up with competition for workers. Anthony Sean Marshall is the more. Microsoft is taking inflationary pressures and staff retention into its own hands by raising the pay budget. It plans to nearly double it. It's also raising stock compensation it gives to some of its workers by at least 25%. That's according to a report by Bloomberg. A Microsoft spokesperson told NTD, This increased investment in our worldwide compensation reflects the ongoing commitment we have to providing a highly competitive experience for our employees. A slowdown in hiring and heavy competition for workers in general has put worker retention in the spotlight. In February, rival Amazon said it would raise its base pay for white-collar workers from $160,000 to $350,000. Inflation has hidden everyone, from consumers up the chain to major corporations. Higher costs and supply chain issues were mentioned as causes for revenue losses in Walmart's earning report Tuesday, causing its stock to tumble over 11% at the time of this report. Even Jeff Bezos has been sparring with Joe Biden on Twitter in dealing with inflation. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And House Democrats today unveiled a bill seeking to address the baby formula shortage in America. The $28 million bill would increase FDA staff to inspect formula and prevent fake products from getting onto shelves. Families across the country have been struggling to feed their kids since top maker Abbott issued a recall in February. That was after reports of bacterial infections and apparently two deaths. To increase supply, the FDA is allowing imports from countries that don't usually sell to America, but some, including the congresswoman who introduced the House bill, are concerned with the safety of the imports. Said the bill will help to ensure safety. Meanwhile, Republicans want the president to invoke the National Defense Production Act to boost domestic supply. Swiss firm Nestle today said it's flying baby formula here to help with the shortage. And the biggest subway system in the world is short of riders. Subway ridership in New York City is way down, so the mayor is encouraging everyone including CEOs and executives, to take the train. Anthony's Phil Zoe is more. New York City's mayor says, get on the train. New York is back. He wants everyone, including executives, like the CEO of Chase Bank, to take the subway to work. So why not? Uh, there's a lot more violence now. I spoke to Kelly Herridge, a designer in New York. She used to take the subway occasionally. Now she takes it even less. But our mayor doesn't do anything to make it better. Crimes are up over 30% compared to before the pandemic. Well, shootings are definitely up. I don't think just in New York City, but nationwide. Joseph Imperatrice is the founder of Blue Lives Matter, a nonprofit for police officers. We're seeing individuals become victims every single day. That shouldn't be the case. We need to go out there, remove the bad people from the equation, and make our city streets safer. 
There used to be over 5 million people taking the subway every weekday. But now, that number has fallen over 40%. I don't take the subway really. I mostly ride my bike, but uh, I use it in the winter if I'm, if I'm in the city. Pablo Karate is a photographer who moved to New York 20 years ago. He has a more positive vibe towards the city. It's uh, kind of back to normal. I mean, I see a lot of people in the streets. I see a lot of people in New York City. You're going to kick people, homeless people, out of the subway and, not put them on the, and put them on the streets and not provide anything to help. It's not helping in any way. It's making things worse. The current New York City mayor says he's speaking to a former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, almost every week to get advice on how to eliminate crime in the city. Phil Zoe, NTD News. New York. I'm moving on to China. Are investors selling their Chinese bonds and China is trying to hide it? The country's main bond trading platform has quietly stopped reporting that data. Anthony's Don Ma looks into it. The China foreign exchange trade system quietly stopped releasing data on bond transactions. Basically, they stopped telling people whether foreign investors were selling off Chinese bonds. This exchange is China's main bond trading platform, and now people are totally in the dark whether foreign investors are taking their money out of China's debt market. It's absolutely not normal. The reason for potentially not releasing the data would be that if the data showed a very significant outflow from Chinese bonds on the behalf of foreign investors, it could potentially create a bit of a panic. The Chinese yuan weakened over the last month, so it may not be a stretch to assume that China in April saw outflows of Chinese bonds from foreigners. So then could China be purposely hiding data of outflows of foreign capital? Brian McCarthy, chief strategist at MacroLens, says it's possible, but he doesn't want to jump to a conclusion right now. It wouldn't be the first time. They just sort of stopped releasing data that looked unattractive. But again, given what's gone on with the, uh, the, the COVID zero shutdowns in Shanghai and elsewhere, I just think it's, it's a little early to say. But McCarthy says if we don't get the data by next month, then he would potentially conclude that China is purposely hiding important data. I'd say I'd give them two weeks. If we still don't have this data, then I would lean towards the idea that they're deliberately trying to obscure a very negative picture for uh, outflows from Chinese government bonds. According to sources, bond trade data is still being released for domestic investors. It's only the trade data for foreign investors that's not being published. Don Ma, NTD News. Quick break, but still to come, stay with us. Global companies are needing more and more cobalt. It's a rare mineral used to make electric cars, and that could pose a serious challenge down the road. A farmer in Albania turns to used coffee grounds to help him beat the rising price of fertilizer. He uses them to grow his crops. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. For the first time ever, electric vehicles or EVs used up more cobalt than smartphones and personal computers. Cobalt is a rare metal that goes into lithium-ion batteries. EVs used 59,000 tons of cobalt in 2021, 34% of all cobalt demand. Mobile phones used around 15% and personal computers around 9%. It's a reflection of the growing EV demand. A report from the IEA says EV sales doubled in 2021 from 4% in 2020 to 8.5%. Large use of cobalt highlights a big obstacle for the EV industry, though, getting enough minerals for the batteries. Cobalt is a huge problem, as three-quarters of it comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. China and London are dominating production there, and the second-largest cobalt supplier is in Australia. But according to the Cobalt Institute, Australia provides only around 3% of global supply. And Mercedes may have just found a solution to how to power large electric cars without weighing them down with heavy batteries. Mercedes-Benz will use a new highly energy-dense battery, but it may take a while before the technology reaches consumers. The battery will be incorporated in its upcoming electric G-Class with 2025. Car maker says the batteries will use silicon-based anodes that are 20 to 40% more energy dense than current batteries. And a farmer in Albania has turned to coffee waste to help him beat the rising price of fertilizers. He collects the leftover grounds and sprinkles them on his exotic plants. Today's Andrew Thomas has more. Farmer Alban Kakali has land in northwest Albania where he grows tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, and other vegetables. He's also experimenting with exotic plants like passion fruit. But Kakali uses leftover coffee grounds as a fertilizer. The idea came due to the price hike of fertilizers and other pesticides used in agriculture. The price of the exotic brand of pesticides especially rose a lot and made it impossible for us to cope in agriculture. He has seen prices for fertilizers go up by at least 50% recently. He's also happy to be using a byproduct that would otherwise be discarded. It would be good to recycle everything in agriculture. Soil wants to be fed time and again, and the best way is that all the fruits, all the waste in agriculture is turned back to soil, because recently we have been suffering from erosion and the lack of well-fed land, especially in Europe. Kakali collects up to 22 pounds of coffee grounds from a number of local coffee bars daily. He mixes the grounds with grass cuttings and waits three months before using it on his passion fruit plants. We know that Albania is an agricultural economy. It is a country that should have agriculture and tourism as a priority, and that would impact the increase of employment. After a successful start with passion fruits, Gakali turned his attention to kiwis. Reusing coffee grounds is key to growing them as cheaply as possible. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And Justin Bieber fans can soon get caffeinated by a product backed by the pop star. Bieber and Tim Hortons are joining forces again for Biebs Brew. It's a French vanilla cold coffee. The new drink came along after the Grammy-winning singer told the team at Tim Hortons that he prefers iced coffee over hot coffee. One thing led to another, and they came up with the product. It'll be available in the U.S. and Canada on June 6th. It isn't the first collaboration. Last year, Bieber and the company's brand director came up with Tim Biebs Tim Bits, which are donut holes that come in three flavors. Chocolate white fudge, sour cream chocolate chip, and birthday cake waffle. They'll be returning with the Beebs brew. 
And the UK's Postal Service wants to start delivering mail by drone to isolated communities. The Royal Mail plans to create 50 new routes that would take letters and parcels to remote islands, bringing a new meaning to the term air mail. Anthony's Khan Fredrickson has more on the story. The UK's postal delivery service, the Royal Mail, plans to introduce 50 postal drone routes to some of the nation's most remote communities. The planes are able to fly autonomously. They don't need to carry a pilot on board. Uh, one of the benefits of that is they burn less fuel than a conventional aircraft. They connect up with our postmen and postwomen um, who will be able to uh, deliver the items. The company expects to use up to 200 uncrewed aerial vehicles over the next three years. The first routes will be to places like the Hebrides, Shetland Islands and Orkney Islands in Scotland, as well as the Isles of Scilly off the south coast of England. Locals welcome the development. It could take up to a week or more even sometimes to get deliveries. Um, the drone has the potential to speed things up tremendously and that can only be better for the Isles of Scilly. The project is a partnership with the logistics drone company Windracers. Royal Mail has already carried out over four trials over the last 18 months. The UAVs can carry up to 220 pounds of mail for two daily return flights between islands. The project now needs to be approved by the UK's Civil Aviation Authority before it can get off the ground. So that's where the word silly came from. Hmm. As latest to the Entity business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can still catch Entity Evening News, though. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.